0: Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Give it up for the, those who work in children's ministry. I greatly appreciate those who serve in the nursery and children's ministry, but, you know... You that serve in the nursery, thank you for changing poopy diapers so that I don't have to. Because that is not my gifting. And you know what, to, help, to smell somebody else's child stuff, is, uh, that is hard. And so thank you so much for that and giving and serving. And um, I'm convinced, you know, that I said Jesus is building a, a mansion in heaven and you're going to have a golden diaper on one of your walls. And so it'll be there for you. Um, but you know, with that, um, you know, serving... And, uh, you know, he said you serve the, the, the littlest of these. And so with that, this week, uh, the title of the message is uh, Why We Serve. And, you know, I'm not going to be talking about why we serve as, as much, so much from the standpoint of trying to convince you to sign up for something and get plugged into something. But what I do want to share with you is the heart uh, of Jesus as a servant and what it means to be a servant And, you know, if you are a student of the gospel, and I will tell you that you're here this morning, so you are a student of the gospel. Um, You are here because you want to learn and you want to understand. But when you get specifically into the New Testament, there is one theme that we see over and over and over. And that really is how Jesus, um, how he handled situations and encounters with people. And we see how he deals with things, and with that, out of his handling situations and how he deals with people, his, his interaction with people, we see this one theme that's really pounded over and over, and that is the idea of being a servant. And he really drove home this idea of what it is to serve, or what it is to be a servant, and how you serve. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, you know, why I serve. Um, I say why I because most of the time when I am sharing it's for, it's um, my what's how it's worked for me or how um, it, it applies to my life and so you can take some of what I have and then figure out what applies for you and then find out what you need to figure out uh, on your side of it. But you know it's interesting to me when you begin to talk about the word serve or servant or serving. There is an identity that we as people tend to um, really put on ourselves. And it really, our identity is usually found in um, what we do for a living, um, or what our education is, um, or maybe it is um, um, just what we do, you know, like a hobby or your day-to-day interaction or like uh, of what makes you, brings joy to you. And so our identity really gets coupled with what we do, how we're educated, or what our vocation is. And I find that that's interesting because when it's all said and done, when we finish the race, and we're standing before our Lord, right, and we're in front of Him, and we're discussing our life and what we've done and, and how we've done it, He will not refer to you and I. He will not be like, you know, um, you know, teacher, banker, um, stay-at-home mom, uh, salesman, carpenter, lawyer, chef, project manager. He will not refer to you in that manner. He will not label you in what you've been doing in a physical format or what you think you identify identify yourself with. Rather, what he's going to do is he's actually going to draw us under one banner. And he's going to give us one title. And when it's all said and done, that title, what he'll say to us, is, and you've heard this before, well done, my good and faithful servant. So you've heard that. See, that's how you will be labeled. That's how, you, that's how he will address you. That's how he will refer to you. Not what you've been doing, not how you label yourself or place an identity on yourself. And I find that's interesting because it doesn't matter if you're white-collar or blue-collar. It doesn't matter if your likes or your skill sets are different. We all are going to come under that one banner. We're all going to receive that one title. And so really the question is this, is um, how do we serve in an area that God has given us or deposited us? I mean, if that's going to be our label, if he's going to call us servant, then how do we do that? Father, we just bless you. Father, we ask that your word would be spoken today. Father, that um, I would not speak anything that is not supposed to be spoken, and I would not add anything to it. But Father, that I also would not take anything away. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you begin to um, speak into our hearts, that you would soften our hearts, that we would be ready to hear and receive what it is you have for us. And, Father, that you would impact and change us. That's what you've called us to do, to be impacted and changed by your love and by what you've done at the cross for us. In the name of Jesus, we say amen. You know what, real quick, just tell the neighbor beside you, you are so glad they showed up. Now, tell the second person on the other side of you that you're glad they showed up too. You see, now it's a little bit more of a struggle. Some of you are sitting only by one person or you're by yourself, and so you're like... Oh, how am I going to do this, right? You know, sometimes we just have to get out of our box a little bit. Um, I think greeting is a lot of fun. We're going to be reading from Matthew 15. Uh, Today we're going to be starting in, um, we're going to pick up at verse 29. And I'll tell you what, before I jump into that, you know, um, when I'm reading Scripture, for me, the way I've always learned is I really have to feel like I'm there. And, I, and so for me, I kind of have to mentally put myself in that situation. I almost really need to feel like I'm right there with them so I can uh, just kind of sense what's going on and, and that my own human flesh and my responses to what's going on would kind of come through. And so that it just helps me connect in a better way um it it just makes it just brings it alive for me i think everybody has a different way that they get into that or how you look at the word for me i just i kind of really have to put myself in the middle of it um i also believe this too that we should not read scripture as though it is something that jesus did uh rather we really should um we should read it as something that he's still doing and and that is being done today and, and it's alive and so so with that we'll pick up at verse 29. Matthew 15, 29 says this, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on the mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. You know, we have a picture right there of an excitement about what Jesus is doing. They saw what was going on, He's up there, and they begin to bring people to him. And they're laying them at his feet. They're setting them down right there. And you know, these people that they brought, the the ones that brought these people, they knew that there needed to be a physical or spiritual healing. They recognized that there were people around them that needed Jesus. They needed to be set free. They needed healing. And so with that, they took time and brought these people to him and placed him at his feet you know the crazy thing is if you read on it says he healed them all every single last one of them and the bigger story behind that is is that it wasn't a church meeting from um, 11 to twelve thirty, and I hope he gets done on time Jesus was there for three days y'all think Tim goes long sometimes Imagine three days, because that's what happened. Jesus wanted to make sure that every single last one of them. He didn't say, you know what, uh, my wife has dinner ready for me, i got to go. Right? He stayed until the end, and he made sure that it happened. The other thing that's interesting about that is not just the duration, but the fact is, is that, that the people brought, if you look at the picture, they brought all of humanity at the feet of Jesus, and he was comfortable being there. He wasn't like, get away from me, that's not my gifting, I don't I don't have time for this. He was completely able to stay right where he was. And it was easy, it seemed to be easy. But I can tell you this, for three days it probably wasn't easy. So in the midst of humanity, he's not uncomfortable being there. And you know what it... I don't know about you, but what I I began to think about is, I bet those people that were brought there really had a mentality that I tend to have. And that is, you know what? God really probably doesn't want to be around me right now. You know, my attitude really stinks right now. My words are not that great right now. You know, I I, I haven't been really a good Christian today. I didn't get into my word today. You know, God really doesn't want to be around me. And we tend to think about that, well, maybe just I do. Right, But I got to think about these people who were brought and set before and just set at His feet. And I guarantee some of them had that mentality. Why am I here? God doesn't want to be around me. I, I'm diseased. But He wanted to be with them. And you know, we sometimes let our thinking separate us from what God is wanting to do through us and with us. This just little passage right here, um, to me, it's, it's an amazing picture In Scripture, what we see is Jesus, um, that He's surrounded by all of these people. Not only does He feel comfortable about it, but it's a life-giving picture of our Savior, and it really shows us what God is like. He wants to be with us. He wants to be surrounded by us. He wants to be right in the midst of us, not waiting for us to mess up. We're going to pick back up on verse 31. Verse 31. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. You know what's interesting? I'm going to stop right there because I think I find it interesting. They've just had three days of healing going on. Most of us would have been the same. Maybe I, this is the way I would have been, right? That's all I need to put myself in. I would have been like, we're good here. We're done. You healed everybody. Go home. It's time for me to go. But you know, that isn't what he said at all. His compassion took it so that he went beyond just being concerned about our chaos and our catastrophes, but he was concerned about even the small things. He wanted to make sure that the elderly and the young would not fall out, that they would not collapse on their way home. He just did this miracle. He just made sure that there was healing. And you know, there would be nothing more frustrating if you just got healed and you collapsed and died on the way home because you hadn't eaten for three days. I mean, that would, that, would be, that would negate everything that God just did. I mean, He gets that. He sees that in our life. And He makes sure that He doesn't just carry us through the big things, but He makes sure that we can go through the little things too. And so I, I think it's an interesting uh, picture about how He does that. I also think it's interesting, you know, that He says, He says, I have compassion for these people. And they're kind of like, well, what do you want us to do? You know? And I can hear one or two of them because I would have said this. I'm glad you have compassion because I don't. You know what? I told my wife I was going to be at church for five hours. It's been three days. I have to go now. I have to leave. I mean, that's what human nature, that's how we begin to do things. That's how we say things. But he had compassion. And their humanistics was like, we don't. We're ready to go. So let's pick back up in 33. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. It's interesting that he says that, right? Jesus gave to the disciples, and then the disciples gave to the people. I mean, it would have been easy if Jesus would have just said, have everybody line up, and as they walk by me, as I perform this miracle, I'm going to hand out to them. I'll do it. But you know what he does? He says, no, no, listen, I'm going to bring you in the middle of this. You're going to be the hand. You're going to be the relay to the hurting. Right? I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to break bread and somewhere from my hand to your hand to their hand you're going to see me multiply and you're going to be the ones that are going to carry out to them this miracle lots of times that we think that jesus is just doing everything and you know what jesus is calling us to be in the midst in the mix of what he's doing. That's what he did with the disciples. I mean, he was saying to him, "Listen, I'm going to do a miracle. And this is going to blow everyone's mind. This is going to blow everyone away. They're going to talk about this for centuries." We still do, right? Right? If you're going to be in the middle of it, you're going to be in the mix of it. Lots of people, small provision. He wanted the disciples to realize they have something to contribute. You know, most of the time the world beats us up and we beat ourselves up so much we feel like we have nothing to give. And he wanted to make sure that the disciples knew that they had something to contribute. Why was that important? The disciples were really no different than us. A lot of times people think, well, disciples, they were the holy of holies. He chose them because they must have been the best. You know, they must have had it all together. Um, just in case you don't know this, they were filled with pride, competition, ego, jealousy, envy. You know what they spent most of their time doing? Discussing about their position with Jesus. He walked with me for like a half a mile, he only brushed by you. He sat by me at the table. You know what? You're at the other end, you're a loser. I mean that's the kind of that's the conversations that they had with each other. They were in constant competition. They were in constant need of position. They needed to know where they were positionally set with him. And if they weren't there, they were going to try to knock each other down to get there. But Jesus spent most of his time, all of them, most of his time with them trying to break their concern about position by reminding them that it was not about the position at all that was really about being a servant his heart for them was to not look at what they were wanting to be positioned with him but his heart was is that you need to have my heart and my heart is a servant in fact it is in matthew 23 11, he says this the greatest among you will be your servant They're clawing at each other, trying to claim a position uh, as a higher authority next to him or with him or beside him. And he's saying, whoa, 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 you're missing it. The greatest will be your servant. When you can serve each other, that's when you'll be great. In fact, as in John 13, he gives this whole illustration uh, by washing their feet. And then he says these words, he says, If I, your Lord, have washed your feet, how much more should you serve each other? In fact is, the night before he went to the cross, right? His priority was to make sure that the disciples understand that you have to get the serve right. You've got to understand how to be a servant. If, if, if I go on the cross and I haven't been able to convey to you, if you have not gotten that you need to be a servant the way that I've been a servant, I can't hand the gospel ball off to you, so to speak, and have you run down the field. Because you won't get it. In fact, is you'll struggle. You don't, if you don't understand the power of just being a servant, you will drop the ball over and over and over. He wanted to make sure they understood and had a heart to be a servant. And that they understood the power of being a servant. i got a couple stories I want to share with you. There was a, a young pastor, um, he, well, he wasn't a pastor yet, there was a young man, um, he was like 18 years old, uh, he actually lived in Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina, where we just happened to be going on our mission trip, and um, he actually grew up as a Kabaptist. Have you, have you ever heard of Kabaptist? You know what that is? Okay, his dad was Catholic and his mom was Baptist. So what they did is, is um, they went to church on Easter and Christmas, you know, the creasters. Um, as we call them, and so, um, but one year they would go to the Catholic Church on Christmas, and then the next year they would go to the Baptist Church. They would go back and forth, and that's how he grew up his whole life. So he knew who Jesus was. He had heard the name over and over. His, you know, he grew up in a Christian household, but when he was 18, he was out on the beach, living his life, doing his thing, and there was an outreach uh, that came through, uh, doing beach ministry, and uh, he got to talking to them, and you know what? He just, he had, what he heard made sense. Finally, um, he all this stuff he'd heard before didn't. But you know what? He finally got it. He said, you know what? I need Jesus as my Savior. And on the beach, he accepted Jesus as Savior. And then he said, well, I've got to get plugged into a church. I mean, the church I'm in is not feeding me, so I better find a place. And so he went and found this little church on. He said, Well, I should find a church on the beach because I'm here all the time. So he found a little church on the beach. It was like 80 people. He was like an old time pastor. You know, he's like, uh, he was kind of hardcore. And, you know, he'd, he'd be preaching. He'd be, he said he was one of those preachers like, You know, I got, I'm doing a good word. Who wants me going for another hour? Another hour. And, like, nobody raised their hands. He's like, I see the hands. I see the hands. All right, we're going. We're going another hour. You know, he was one of those kind of preachers. And, um, one Sunday morning, he hadn't been there very long, but he felt the call to be a pastor, and he walked up to the front, he said, you know, pastor, I, I feel called to do exactly what you're doing. I want to preach the gospel. I want to get out and do it. And, he, and he's like, son, all right, do you really mean that? Yes, I do. He said, all right, I'm going pl- to put you in the ministry. Here's what's going to happen. I need you to show up Saturday morning at 6 a.m. And he, you know, he was like, at 18 years old, Saturday morning, 6 a.m., I didn't even know the church doors opened up at that time of the day. And he said, but you know what? I showed up. And But now before that, the pastor had said, now listen, you be there at 6 a.m. If you're not there, just go on, don't come back. So he showed up, and he's, he's like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm ready to go. He says he shows up, and he walks to this door, and it says, intercessory prayer. And he said, and the story is, he says, you know, I had actually been by that room. I thought it was an accessory store for women that needed stuff that they left at the house. He said, but I always heard weird noises come from there. And he's like, it was kind of a mystical room. So I was like, I didn't know. But he said, all right, intercessory prayer. So, but not only was it intercessory prayer, but it was intercessory prayer with the senior ladies. And we're not talking senior ladies. They had been seniors for quite a long time. They were accustomed to being in the senior category. And so... They did this for three hours. They spent three hours every Saturday morning, six to nine, praying. And he would say, He said, You know, listen, you miss a Saturday, don't even come on back. You just go on down, just go on, find you another church. So he did that for six months. And at the end of the six months, I mean, he said when that, would, that them women would be praying for him. You know, he's like in flip-flops, a tank top and shorts, you know. And, and they're just praying for him, rubbing his head and shaking him. And, you know, and he's like, I don't even know. I'm, and at the end, they would say, somebody needs prayer. And he's like, well, I'm convinced nobody here has at least sinned for at least a couple decades. So it must be me. Pray for me. So they would be praying for him. But at the end of the six months, the pastor came to me and said, I think you're ready for the next phase, the next step. Do you still want to be going to the ministry? He said, well, they about rubbed all my hair out, but I think I still want to go in. I'm good. And he said, all right, be here Saturday at 9 a.m. Of course, he was excited because now he got to sleep in, but he came came in at 9 a.m., and they were kind of standing at the back, and they were looking, and he said, son, here's what I need you to do. I need you to vacuum this carpet, and I need straight lines, because when I'm preaching and I see those lines, I feel the unction of the Spirit. And I need it to be done. It needs to happen. We need to do church. And he was like, I don't even know what that means, but I'll, I'll do it. So he would show up at 9 a.m. every Saturday, and he would sweep for three hours. He said a couple things began to happen at this point in time. He said one is, you know, as a carefree person and you don't really care about what's going on inside, the if you're the one that has to sweep the carpet and you see some mom with a couple kids and they got goldfish, you're all going to have to get on out of here now with that stuff. I mean, that's what he said. He's like, you guys are going to have to leave with that food because somebody's going to clean up and it's me. But he said what he began to really understand, what the pastor was teaching him was, is that you have to be able to serve in the secret. If you're willing to serve in the secret, God will begin to open doors to serve in the public. And so he began to understand that, and so he spent nine months every Saturday sweeping carpets, making sure that they were good. Finally got his break. The pastor came to him and said, Son, I believe you're ready. you got 15 months invested in this. I really believe that you're called. I'm going to give you an opportunity to preach. I need you to be here Sunday morning to speak. Be ready to preach. Bring a good word. I said, all right, and he got so excited, he went out to the store. He bought himself a suit. And this was back in the day when it was like a, a purple, a lavender leisure suit with a purple leather tie, got himself a new Bible. I mean, he was really, really excited. He shows up in that morning. He walks in. First thing the pastor says to him is, you look like a grape. But come on with me. you got work to do. So they walk up. He walks by the pulpit. There's a door in the back. He walks through the door down into the basement in this little room. Seven metal chairs. And he said, Son, here's what's going to happen. In about five minutes, there's going to be seven, eight, nine little boys, somewhere between eight and 10 years old. I need you to preach the word to them today. He said, He looked at his suit, looked at his Bible, and he's like, Well, I wasn't ready for this. And he said, He got to looking around because he's like, Well, I don't know what I'm going to do now. They didn't give me any curriculum. They didn't have the lesson planned out for me. They didn't have any little nice crafts for me to do. They had nothing prepared for me. Except for on the wall, there was like this felt thing, and it had like an ark. David, Peter, the bull from Revelation with five eyes, and maybe something. He said there was a couple other things. I don't remember what they were. He said, "I'm looking at this and trying to figure out what I'm going to do with that." He said, "All I knew to do was," he said, "the kids came rushing in. Of course, you know they're boys, so they're punching each other, they're gassing the place up. I mean, it's insane." He's like, "I don't know what I'm doing." He's like, "I just start singing the bit, the only thing I knew to sing, something about Father Abraham, and I'm you know I'm leading a little bit of worship, and then I start speaking. I'm I'm preaching about that Peter and David are in Philadelphia and they're chasing the bull, and you know, of course, one little boy's like." I don't think that stuff all goes together. And, you know, of course, in his mind, he's like, this is all they gave me. Work with me, son. You're going to hell anyway. When we, if we don't understand the heartbeat of Jesus when it relates to serving, then nothing else will work in our lives. Marriage, parenting, church, work, community. If we don't understand that the greatest among you is a servant, then everything we do will be a little off-center. Why I tell you that story? There's a couple of reasons. One is we have to learn to serve in the secret. And two is we have to be willing to give up of our time. The other side of that story is, is this. There are a lot of churches that have been really hard on serving, people serving, and they've kind of beat them over the head to the point that so many people are afraid to volunteer for even like one little thing, or they might get locked in for life. And you know the thing about it is? Is that if you're called to serve in an area, God will give you the ability to do it, and He won't take you through a church that'll beat you over the head. I can tell you here, speaking as far as children ministry and student ministry and, and, and any of the other ministries, our heart and desire is not for you to just fill a spot to the point that you're just a, uh, a you know, you're just there. You're like breathing air and hope you do a good job. Our heart is that you get plugged into something that you thrive as well as you impact the lives that you're around. That's why I showed that video. I love and I'm so grateful and appreciative of um, nursery workers. It is not my gifting. And if they don't do it, I'm going to have to. And so I really appreciate that. I'm appreciative of everyone that serves here. The ones that walk in and so willingly take a, 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 a plate, a basket, and will collect who will serve and give the elements. I appreciate that out of people. But you need to know this church is not, or this, this, this is not about trying to make you feel guilty like you need to plug in somewhere. But that, you know what, God is calling us to be a servant. Jesus was the greatest servant of all. And He said it, and He did it, and He displayed it over and over and over. And so with that, you know, for me, when I share, all I can really um, tell you is... Um, from my perspective. And so I've got three reasons why I serve. And I have to review these all the time because I, I need them. I need them over and over and over. So, three reasons why I serve. The first one is this Serving helps me relocate from Meville to Weville. This one is really hard. You know, because in Meville, the sun never shines, it's always cloudy, it's a little bit rainy, it's a little bit dreary. And we are hanging out there a lot. Jesus took the disciples, and uh, he took their focus from them to others. Jesus is looking to set us free from being a consumer and turn us into being a contributor. What about me? What about me? What about me? What about me? You know, as a society, we are really training and getting ourselves, and we're bringing up young people to where they look at something and go, what's in it for me? I'm really not going to do this. I'm not going to commit to anything unless I have some form of return out of it. And and that is a me-ville. is all about what's going on in me. we is about us connecting with others and helping them get through things. Without strings attached. Number two, serving breaks the addiction of self-centeredness. I do if you've ever heard that before. You know, being self-centered is an addiction. It's really easy to just keep going back to that. You know how you know? You ever walk through a problem, you got some situation going on, you're walking through it, and the more you focus on it, the more you think about it, the more you dwell on it, and you're doing the whys and the what-ifs and the could-bes and the should-have-beens, and you're going through this whole process, and your problem's not getting any better, it's growing because you're so self-centered, you're so focused on what's going on with that situation at that moment. But I can tell you this, when when you're walking through something, and instead you kind of maybe lift your head up a little bit, and you begin to notice people around you, and you begin to see people hurting, going through pain, struggling, and you begin to say, you know what, I'm not going to focus on my problem right now, because obviously it's not going away, but you know what, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to help somebody kind of go through their stuff. I, I'm going to reach out to them and, and let them know what's, that they can make it. I'm going to encourage them, and I'm going to walk beside them. You know, when we begin to do that, there are two things that can happen. One is, you begin to see that you need to count your blessings because you're not going through near a tough time as they are. Or, or you can say, you know what, I'm going through a lot tougher time, but I'm not the only person going through the tough stuff. So are a lot of other people around me. And you know what? We're going to help each other get through it. That's why we want out of Weeville or out of Meeville. We want Weville. We want to help each other. Problem may not go away, but I can tell you it's not as big as when you left it to go help somebody else. Instead of learning, instead of leaning into bystander tendencies, you lean into someone else's hurt. That's what we're really good at. bystanding and watching somebody else go through their stuff. That's the, I'll pray for you when I get home and it's convenient. But when we begin to lean into their hurt and walk through with them, pray with them, help them make good decisions, or help them kind of get ahead, your hurt is still there, but you're in a better piece. Number three, because of the eternal ripple effect, sorry, because of the um number three, because of the eternal ripple effect of our serve. What does that mean? Well, you know, what you do, how you serve someone, you don't understand the ripple effect that it has through other people. Fact is, this is true in your generosity, in your tithe and offering. Your tithe and your offering and your generosity today, you do not know and you're not aware of the ripple effect that it'll have for someone else outside these four walls today. Right? Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 11 says this. I'm using the message version. Uh, verses 1 and 2. Be generous. Invest in acts of charity. Charity yields high returns. Don't hoard your goods, spread them around. Be a blessing to others. This could be your last night. I say that because we we don't know when your last night's going to be. And I can tell you this, throughout my life, I have regrets. There are things that I regret that I've said or done or been a part of. But I can tell you this, I don't have any regrets when it comes to my time, my talents, or my money that I've invested in serving the cause of Jesus Christ. Not one single regret. There's nothing about it that I regret. Because I don't know the ripple effect that it has. But I'm hopeful and I know. I'll tell you a story about a ripple effect. There was a pastor who um, felt called to plant a church in Louisiana. So he and his wife up and moved. They went to Louisiana. They're getting started. It's a small church. And they're just looking. One of the things that he learned was, was to serve. You know, serve your community serve my church family, serve each other. And, he, and so he was like, i, I got to figure out a way to get into the community. I need to serve. And and he just felt like, you know, they were doing the normal stuff, you know, the parade, the, the fair, and, you know, the nursing home. And, you know, they were doing the normal things that most people do. He said, man, I, I just really want to do something different. I want to impact lives. And he heard a story about a church in Ohio who was doing this ministry um on at the intersection of the streets and it was really an easy ministry but it was this thing they were handing out free cokes and so he's like handing out free cokes all right i need to find out what this so he calls up the the pastor at that church and he's like i hear you guys are doing this ministry can you explain to me how to do it i I, you know i just want to reach out to my community and the pastor was like hey it's really easy go to store you buy a case of pop case of cokes Get some ice, put them in a cooler. You go stand at an intersection, you know, and you just tell people. You get a little card with it, and and you just tell them, you know what? God loves you. Jesus is here for you. You look too thirsty to pass up. No strings attached, but if you ever need anything, give us a call. He's like, man, I can do that. That's easy. So he gets the ministry going. There's somebody else that actually begins to take it over. He's at church one day. He's in the office doing stuff, kind of, you know, doing his normal thing. He gets a knock on the door, and this lady has come in. She's uh, from Mississippi. And she was going through the intersection, and somebody had knocked on her window and asked if she wanted a free coat, gave her the whole uh, pitch, gave her the card, you know, we love you. She came back. She said, I just had to find this church. She said, I I need to know how to do this. I want to take this back to my church in Mississippi. This This was awesome. How do you do it? And, of course, he's thinking, you just got a Coke. You know how to do it. But I'm going to tell you anyway. You know, so he's like, you get some some Cokes. You get some ice. You get some coolers. And you go out to the intersection, and you just love on people. Give them something free. You know what? Salvation is free. Give them something free that you can connect with them. Everybody's thirsty. And so she did that. She went back home. She told her pastor about it. The church said, you know what? You have a heart and a vision for it. Run with it. You let us know. We'll help you. We'll buy the, we'll get everything purchased and you set it up. But she did something a little different. Instead of setting up on an inter- intersection, she set up in a place where on every Saturday night history is being made and life is happening Walmart. Because <laughs> a lot's happening on a Saturday night at a Walmart. And so they did. And their team, while they were out, they noticed a car. It was a lady and two daughters. And they said, um, "You know, hey, we'd like to we'd like to share a coke with you. Is there anything that we can do?" And to come to find out, um, the lady they had they didn't have hardly any money, and her car was broken down. So they gave the whole you know, the two kids and her. They gave them the pops, uh, and then they called some people in the church. They had connections. They knew some mechanics. Um, they had two or three people out there. They got the car running. They had, got some parts for them. Got everything running and working. Blessed them, loved on them, prayed for them. You ever need anything, give us a call. Here's our card. Next morning, because that was Saturday night, Sunday morning, mom and the two daughters walk in. They sit in the back, but they come in. They hear the pastor's message at the end. They're like, we need to know this Jesus guy. We need to know who he is. The fact that you would reach out to us like you did, nobody's ever given us anything without some form of strings of being attached to it. We 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 need Jesus. We'll take him. And they they all three gave their life that morning. Later that night, they had a Sunday night service, you know, because there's a lot of churches that do that much meeting, and they bring the dad with them. They come in, they sit in the back dad's a good old big country boy basically emotionless the whole time just sit back there listening to what's going on at the end he makes a beeline straight for the pastor and says to him, i mean nobody's ever reached out to my family in fact there's nobody's ever done anything for me without some form of string being attached to it nobody's ever done anything you know what i just want to thank you and i tell you what your serving has changed my idea of jesus you know what i grew up thinking that God hated me because of my situation and what was going on. And you know what? I think I'd like to give my life to Jesus tonight. And he did. At that moment, he gave his life. The family went home. Here's the kick. That man died of a heart attack that night. Died of a heart attack. The family did their normal things. Wednesday, they had a funeral. At the end of the funeral, the mom walked up. She placed the... Uh, Coke can on the casket. Turned around looked at everybody and said these words. All because of a Coke and a heart willing to serve, a family had a fresh beginning and a hope and a peace for eternity. And that was me. Because of your willingness to serve, my husband is with Jesus. And before that, he may not have been. Thank you for serving. Thank you for being willing to serve. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to reach into my life and change my husband's eternity and my family's legacy. You see, we don't understand. We don't, we don't know what a ripple effect our serving does. We underestimate, we underestimate what we can contribute to those around us. We underestimate what we are capable of doing. But what we really underestimate is how Jesus wants to work through us to perform miracles and to bring life to people. How He's looking at us to be the relay to the hurting and to carry out what He has for them. We underestimate the power of that and the importance of it. We underestimate the heart of a servant because of what we get caught up in our busy lives and our things going on. And God is calling us to slow down and do something. Just check out this video and then I'll close.
1: This morning, saw a world full of trouble. Now I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. A city on the hills We're never gonna change the world
0: Do something. Hey, would you stand up, please? I want you to hear my heart. This message is not about trying to convince you to come sign up for children's ministry. If you want, you can, but that's not what this is about. It's not about trying to make you feel like you need to get involved in something. This message is about, my heart is, is that you will catch the heart of Jesus. And that was to be a servant. That is to do, to go do something. Do something. We're called to be an impact, a salt and light. A, a, we're supposed to bring peace and love to those around us. We're supposed to impact those around us, those ones we come in contact with. Not just here, but out there. And when we understand what it means to be a servant, you know, listen, this is not about works, right? Works, they don't, that doesn't get you in heaven. The cross already got you there. The cross brought you there. But when you understand that the one who was on the cross, his heart was to be a servant, and he said it over and over don't worry about your position in this world, don't worry about your title, be a servant. When you serve others, when you'll do that, then you'll begin to make an impact. That's what this is about today. I believe as a church, I believe that we need to break the mold. You see, there's this statistic that floats around that says 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the church. I just really get tired of believing that we have to fall in what the world tells us we're going to do. You see, because God fills this up with so many people with different talents, and if we would work together, we actually could have a huge impact on this community, and not only this community, but your work community, the people that you're in contact with. If we would unite and really work together and believe that we're serving together, when we'll, all those things that were on those cards, when we can walk in those, you'll see God move in a mighty and powerful way. Right now we're so focused on when He's going to return, and He said, I'm not going to return until everyone hears the gospel. we got some work to do. I mean, we need to get on it, and we need to start working together to do that, and we've got to serve each other. We serve family, and we're family. All right, we got to serve each other, and we got to be able to help and get out. Should close your eyes, Father. We just we ask that you would help us serve greater, Father. I ask right now that if there are any hearts that are being stirred, that would say, "I, I don't know who this Jesus is. I, I don't know that I understand fully, but." I like what I'm hearing, and I believe that I might need Jesus. Father, right now, if there's anybody in here with a heart stirring like that, I ask that you would just give them the boldness and the courage to come forward. We'll have the ministry teams come up. And and Father, if if they're ready to commit, Father, I ask that they would be given boldness and the legs to walk through that fear and come forward. Father, right now, I just pray for anyone who has fallen away, who, has, who has, has gotten distant from you, who has given themselves a wedge between you and themselves. Father, I ask that you would draw them into you and that they would feel that same stir, that burden, to walk forward and, and become rededicated, recommitted and, and ready to be a servant, a true servant chasing after you. Father, we ask for guidance and wisdom. Father, I ask that you stir our hearts, grow us, change us, draw us close to you, work on the things that need to be worked on. With all eyes closed, just want to take a little bit of time, to personal reflection. Rusty will he'll worship a little bit. Don't feel pressured to sing along. You can if you want, but this is your time to, to talk. Hear what God has for you, what he's calling you to, maybe what he's placing on your heart. If at any point in time you have a need for ministry, a prayer need, please come forward.